who among us doesn't enjoy a good mystery? And especially when solving it means that I get to bring out my competitive side, even if it's just me against the clock, I just can't wait to uncover all the secrets. So June's Journey is a game that is completely up my alley, and I think you'll love it too. In June's Journey, a hidden object mystery game, you play as June Parker, who's on a quest to solve her sister's murder and uncover her family's many secrets. Each chapter brings you deeper into the story, and it's set in the Roaring Twenties, so beyond uncovering clues, you get to experience the glitz and glamour of the time. June's Journey is definitely not a game I play mindlessly, which I love because I get genuinely invested and a lot of it is a race against time, so there's a little fun added pressure of trying to find the clues as quickly as you can in each scene. There are also tons of ways to customize the island that you're on, learn more about the characters, and then new chapters are added weekly, so you really can't run out of things to explore. So if you think you're up to solve this case, download June's Journey for free today on iOS or Android or play on PC through Facebook games. June needs your help, detective. My name is Jenny Owen-Youngs. And I'm Kristen Russo. And together we spent six years watching every episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, one at a time, podcasting about each and every one. Our podcast is spoiler-free, so first-time viewers can listen along safely. Ever thought to yourself, I wish someone was brave enough to write an original song for every single episode of Buffy? Your search is at an end, my friend, because we did exactly that. Our podcast is called Buffering the Vampire Slayer, and you can learn more about it at bufferingcast.com. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Spanning the nerd world and feeding your fandom. It's time for the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Here's your host, James Witham. Watch out for bats and wolves and androids. It's episode 404 of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. I'm James Witham, and oh, it was such a great week for TV this week, wasn't it? We had Raised by Wolves Season 2 that premiered on Thursday. And yeah, guess what? I got a chance to catch up with the cast of the show, both Abubakar Salim and Amanda Collin, who have been a member of the cast from the beginning, and also some new faces as well, like Kim Engelbrecht and Selena Jones and Aaron Guzikowski as well, who's the creator of the series. So many great things that they're going to tell you about this upcoming season, if you have, whether you've started watching it yet or not. Also, hey, pretty big week for Batwoman fans, huh? Got a chance to catch up with this week's director, Cameron Johnson, about Broken Toys. If you haven't seen it yet, don't worry, it's going to be spoiler-free. But man, just hearing his energy about this episode, the fact that he got to direct such a big one and be a big part of his member of the cast as well, can't wait to dive into that with him. And yeah, you know, Batwoman fam, I got you covered there. Plus, I mean, Reacher started streaming on Amazon Prime Video this week. I'll give you my spoiler-free review of that. Also going to talk about Murderville from Netflix. And, I mean, Titans is in the nerd news this week and so much more going on. I think we should just get started, right? Raised by Wolves is now streaming on HBO Max. I'll talk to the cast and creator next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is Matt Ryan from Constantine City of Demons, and you are listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. It's time to head off to the Tropical Zone. The second season of Raised by Wolves is now streaming on HBO Max, and I got a chance to sit down to one of the creators of the series and the amazing cast of the show to kind of get you ready for this second season, whether you've already started watching it or not. This will be spoiler-free, so you don't need to worry about that. And who better to start off with 
then mother and father themselves, Abubakar Salim and Amanda Collin, were the first to join me to talk about the show. Abubakar, Amanda, how are you guys doing? Very good. How are you? So wonderful to talk to you again. I'm doing amazing. So uh, that was a heck of an ending to the first season, wasn't it? I mean, I mean, mother and father think they're they're about to sacrifice themselves. Now maybe they're in paradise with the second chance. So where would you say the relationship stands as we start this season? Man, I think it's it's on a, it's in a space where there is again it wasn't planned right so i think there is so much more to explore and to expand on in season two you know our mission was to almost just to, to finish it to really kind of finish not only ourselves but the you know protect our children to then be spat out on the other side of the planet to a degree into the tropical zone it, it's it it puts a spanner in the works and kind of puts us in a place of like oh wow okay well what's what's next which mm. is again quite terrifying but also exciting yeah and potentially have put them in an even more danger than they were before right so there's a lot of restoring and, and regaining control of the situation at least from mother's side of side of things i think father he's just like hey second chance great yeah. <laughs> who's out there but for mother, every new living person, every new button that she sees, like every every new thing is some sort of threat to her state of being, I guess. Hard to argue with that. I mean, given what you guys have both gone through on, on the show, that certainly makes sense. I, I want to talk about the trust here for a second. I feel like that's a very apt name because I feel like the trust between mother and father is something that's, that's very interesting going into this season. So I, I guess for a lack of a better way of putting it, how much trust is there in the trust? Well, I don't know from your side of who actually. Do you trust I, the trust? Yeah, I mean, I think I, I think I do to begin with. I think there is a, there is a feeling of there is justice or they, you know, that it can bring justice to the space. I think that, you know, I'm I'm sort of of the mentality of like, as long as the children are safe, then we're fine. And, you know, it takes a village to, to raise children. So I think we're all right. But I don't think, I know that you have an interesting relationship with the trust as, this, as the season develops, right, Amanda? Like, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean. I <laughs> to say play. the least. Yes, <laughs> I play yeah, mother. No, and, no not no? the way you think. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can understand why you'd be paranoid. <laughs> like his character, I say. <laughs> yeah. I think there's a deep want in mother to really give all her trust to the trust. But I think there's also like 1% of instinct that's like, something's off, right? And we all know that feeling of so wanting to, especially as grownups, like we, we've been talking a little bit about the responsibility in life and the need to place it somewhere else, the need to place it in astrology or religion or in politicians or to have an opinion that you can cling on to because then you are justified in a way of your actions and I think uh, there is no such thing actually in 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 life 
there's only you and us and us as a whole or you as an individual, but there is no thing or no entity where you can sort of place the responsibility. And that's a really interesting subject to discuss and the way Aaron does it so delicately in the show, I just, I appreciate it so much. And I appreciate going through those themes with myself and with the story and yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm super excited about, I, I was so excited about the trust because like a quantum supercomputer who has all answers to, I mean, can you imagine only based on data that should be mm. pretty easy to trust. Definitely cranking the sci-fi up to 11 on that one. That's for right. sure. From the beginning, Campion's been one of my favorite characters on the show, no doubt about it. But we've all we've also seen mother and father disagree on what's best for Campion in the past. Could that also be true going forward here in the second season? And how much pressure is he under in this season now that he's a little bit older? Well, Campion is definitely mother's favorite. <laughs> mother's son. <laughs> <laughs> do you even care about Campion, father? Of course I do. <laughs> <laughs> they had some bonding time last you know I mean? season. They had a little bit of bonding time. Yeah. I think he's under enormous amount of pressure. I mean, just the fact that he's a teenager in space and that he lost all his siblings and trying to connect with his new ones and that he has very pure instincts and and a good gut feeling like he's like he, he can't harm animals and he's like he, he's, he's a sweet kid and he's feeling love for the first time or interest in like you know so there's so many things happening while he has a mother who's like dude you need to rule this planet <laughs> right that must be a huge amount of pressure and i think yeah just to compare it to real life i mean not that that mothers or fathers or parents and that state think that that their children are going to rule the world, but to some extent, there are always going to be expectations from parents to children. And I think yeah. that's a very interesting topic to take up as myself being a parent that a, a really good parent is a parent with no expectations, really, right? I think, I, yeah, I think it, that's what it I think. It comes from a place of wanting the best for your child, right? And I yes. think like that's ultimately what it's what it is it's like you you want you want the best for them and i think campion definitely has a lot on his shoulders not only in season one but now even more so in season two just because of the new society that he's he's in he's a native of this world he doesn't carry the baggage of earth he you know that he's he can actually technically be the perfect leader for you know a new society but again whether that's what he wants or whether he doesn't is it's up to him but what is the best for your children right i mean and then what? there's that that's no it idea. yeah there you go no idea that's the thing no but no but that's the thing like have any like ask any grown-up what you would have just wanted from your parents and it's probably just trust and love like i got this yeah you know? right and so and maybe a little bit of savings for therapy Good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then there's that. <laughs> well, we'll see what's going to happen with that coming up on February the 3rd. That is when HBO Max sees the return of Raised by Wolves. Abu, Amanda, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you.
You heard Amanda talk about Aaron just a couple of minutes ago. That is Aaron Guzikowski, who is the creator of Raised by Wolves, and, and he joined me as well, along with new cast members. We have Selena Jones, who plays Grandmother. Yeah, that should raise some eyebrows. And King, Kim Engelbrecht, who plays Decima as well. Let's hear what they think about joining this show. So, Aaron, I want to start off with you, actually, because we start off this season kind of a warmer place to say it to, you know, and a little bit of an understatement there that we were last season. So how much of a change will be will the tropical zone be and how much of a change is that going to be for mother and father's family? It's it's a very different environment they found themselves in um, beyond the fact that, you know, the natural environment is much different. It's much, uh, you know, it's abundant. There's fruit. It's very easy to survive here. You don't have to spend a lot of time and energy just trying to stay alive. And the other big difference is that they're now part of a colony. They're not just on their own anymore. They're part of this atheistic colony that is run by a quantum supercomputer that is supposed to be incorruptible, that can only make decisions that will benefit the collective at large. So on the face of it, you know, there are a lot of positives, but beneath the surface, it is actually uh, in some ways much more treacherous than the other side of the planet, uh, as you're finding a lot more ruins here, remnants of this ancient civilization and starting to get into, you know, uh, what all that means. Most definitely. And it means a lot. Wait till you guys see it right off the bat, too. It's it's incredible. Now, Kim, for you, we don't know a whole lot about Decima heading into this season, but we do know she's very smart. She's highly skilled. How much can you actually tell us about where we find her as this season begins? Yeah, I think when we meet Decima, Decima is a quantum gravity engineer. Um, when we meet her, we meet her not on her own, but we meet her with a daughter who is an android made in the image of a deceased daughter. And she and her daughter Vril become the very first recruits of Marcus, who's you know starting something fresh. And I think immediately, right off the bat, she's confronted with this decision: Who do you fear, or who do you follow? You know, she obviously then goes with Marcus, but he's got a little bit of a, a kink in his cable. He doesn't like androids, and this creates a huge problem between the two of them. Delina, when we first saw the character descriptions when you were all were cast, you look at that name, you go, "Her name is going to be what now?" So anybody that's, that's a big fan of the show, that kind of just pops right at you. So you see the name Grandmother. Obviously, that gets fans speculating immediately. So how much can you actually tell us about her? I can tell you that she is an ancient android built by father's fuel blood and a little bit fueled by his kind of, let me not say what his feelings are exactly, but his feelings about mother having her own serpent baby. So he has his own creation. I can tell you that the veil that you might see me wear in the trailer is a sensory filter. So because of my standing as a shepherd of humans from the beginning of time, I had to disengage from all emotion in order to make objective decisions about what's best for the human race, because my objective is to ensure the everlasting life of human beings. However, the veil comes off. So then emotions start playing around. Grandmother doesn't really know how to deal with those things. And that creates conflict when you're with two other androids and their children. What harm or danger do I pose? We don't know. And that's going to be very, very interesting for sure. Now, the, this this one's kind of for all of you. The trust kind of seems to be looming over the atheistic colony and, and even beyond that into where, where Marcus and and Decima are as well. So in the trailer, it looks like Mother's certainly kind of a willing follower, but how much does this whole dynamic change this entire season for everybody involved, not just those living inside the colony? You know, there's, on the face of it, you know, I think Mother is 
likes the trust. You know, they actually have a lot in common. Mother's uh, creator actually built the trust when he was a small child. So they have that commonality and they're, they're almost like brother and sister in an odd sort of way. But there's a big difference in the sense that mother is all her hierarchy of importance is all about her children. That's what comes first. It comes before everything else. Whereas the trust sees all humans as a collective and there is no, you know, one person that it would pick out to say, oh no, this is, this person's more important than any other person. So that's kind of where we see this, these two on a collision course, these two different belief systems as uh, later in the season, we'll see, uh, her children get into some issues that uh, the trust has different ideas uh, in terms of how they need to be solved. Kim, for you, quickly, you you talked about her linking up with Marcus at, at one point, and we find Kim in a very, we, we find Desmond in a very different place when we meet her. How do you feel like Marcus changes her, or do you feel like she's also kind of changing Marcus as well? Mm, I think so. I think in terms of like her character, I think she comes she comes completely from science. But now she's trying to have this real relationship with her daughter, Avril, who she's created. And it's kind of like this human kind of interaction. And then she is kind of at that, that, that moment or point in her life where she decides, like, do you follow science or do you follow a person or do you trust yourself? I think the really interesting thing about her is that you think you know her, but she kind of, she kind of wavers, you know, when she's moved by spirituality eventually. Mm. And, yeah, that is a big hmm, because I know exactly what you're talking about, because I've seen a little bit of it already. So, <laughs> but at Selena, one more for you. We've seen how mother and father, we even seen the trailer, father says that they're becoming too human. So could we see some maybe emotions out of grandmother as well? Or could we maybe see her more be more by the book, maybe kind of bring the family back to their original mission? I think the really interesting thing about grandmother is that, yeah, you see her explore and feel emotions for like the very, very first time. It's almost like a child learning how to walk. So yeah, you will see it. And I think it's a really interesting journey as to who initiates those emotions, how she attaches herself to who makes those emotions happen within her and the repercussions of those. And it's going to be an amazing ride this season. Season two of Raised by Wolves premiering on HBO Max on February the 3rd. Aaron, Kim, Selena, thank you so much for your time today. I appreciate it. Thank you. And if you love the first season of Raised by Wolves, this really cranks it up a notch. It'll keep everything that you loved about the first season. But now, like they said, bringing them into a colony kind of changes the game a little bit. Different setting. These new characters really, really add a ton of intrigue to the show, and there was already so much intrigue anyway, but this really, really adds a lot more to it, especially to Marcus's story, I feel like, too, and how that evolves, and we didn't even talk about Sue a whole lot there either. There's a lot going on with Sue this season as well. So much going on. Make sure you're watching at the beginning of the second season of Raised by Wolves now streaming on HBO Max. You're not going to want to miss a second of this thing. Again, thanks to the creator and the amazing cast of Raised by Wolves for joining me to talk about Season 2 this week. Up next, we'll switch gears and talk about Batwoman. Guess who just directed their first episode of the show? It's Cameron Johnson, who plays Luke Fox. Talk to him about directing and starring in the show next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. As a podcast network, our first priority has always been audio and the stories we're able to share with you. But we also sell merch. And organizing that was made both possible and easy with Shopify. 
Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell and grow at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. They have an all-in-one e-commerce platform and in-person POS system, so wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. Shopify has allowed us to share something tangible with the podcast community we've built here, selling our beanies, sweatshirts, and mugs to fans of our shows without taking up too much time from all the other work we do to bring you even more great content. And it's not just us. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Shopify is also the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Because businesses that grow grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash realm, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash R-E-A-L-M now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash realm. My name is Jenny Owen Youngs. And I'm Kristen Russo. And together we spent six years watching every episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, one at a time, podcasting about each and every one. Our podcast is called Buffering the Vampire Slayer, and you can learn more about it at BufferingCast.com. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. This is comic book writer Tom King, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This week's episode of Batwoman was very special for a lot of reasons, not just because of what it meant for the Wildmore fandom, but just because it was an incredible episode altogether. One of the reasons for that is it was directed by one of the stars of the series, Cameron Johnson, his first time directing an episode. Of course, he plays Luke Fox on the show. He's been on the podcast before. I get a chance to talk to him once again about this big episode, Broken Toys, that aired this past week. It is spoiler-free just in case you haven't heard the episode. So here's my conversation with Cameron Johnson. From Batwoman. So, Cameras man, it, normally we call you, hey, Cameras Johnson, star of Batwoman. This week, you're Cameras Johnson, star and director hey, of Batwoman. <laughs> Broken Toys, man, how excited are I know you're excited for every episode. I mean, seriously, but how excited are you to be a part of and direct this particular episode? Dude, I could not be more excited. I, I got to tell you, man, so Natalie Abrams, Chad Fiveash, and James Sotero, the, the writers of this episode, are three of the most talented writers I've ever met. So the fact that the three of them, all three of them wrote this episode, I freaked out when I, when someone, like one of the other writers told me early, and I, I literally screamed on set. I was like, no way. <laughs> so when I read the script, of course, it blew me away, It like because it has everything it, it has the comedy it has the action it has the plot twist it has the, the 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 bat allure like it has all the fun and there was so much room for me to add all these these ca- little fun cameras things here and there i had such a good time man there's one camera thing in particular where you do a really tight close-up that i i it's very subtle but when people see it it, it made such an impact for me yeah you're pointing at me because you know exactly what i I'm do talking about. <laughs> That is the craziest thing. See, we're we're right here. We're We're right right there. Thank you, man. I really appreciate that. I really went all out. And what's great about our crew, too, is I literally asked for so many things. Like, there was, for that specific thing that you're talking about, I asked for, like, 20 more tiny little things. So hopefully you can see them here and there. And then they made all of them. They were like, yeah, so we got them all approved. And here 
are all of them. <laughs> I was like, oh, wow. Yeah, man, this episode was so fun. Well, that was just one that, that stood out to me. I know that there's there's others, too, but that it was, uh-huh. it was early, too, so that, that's always that's pretty good, too. But, I mean, you're no stranger to being a director. I mean, you've done a few shorts. I mean, She Dreams at Sunrise being, being your latest, which is incredible. Thank uh, you, how much, how much did that experience and those experiences help you to prepare for directing a full-length episode of a TV series? Oh, man, in every way. I mean, She Dreams at Sunrise. Also, shout-out to the NAACP. I cannot believe they nominated me for a freaking image award like holy cow i woke up that day and my friend said congrats on the nomination and i said what nomination because <laughs> i forgot i completely forgot we submitted so thank you to everyone that that and went at the board there because that that means so much to me making she gems at sunrise man it prepared me in every way and although it's animated it, it still is the reason that i showed up to set so confident to direct this episode because First of all, we only had eight to 10 weeks or so to make She Dreams at Sunrise. And if you know anything about animation, that's insane because the short is about 10 minutes long in general. The film itself is eight minutes and 46 seconds because we were honoring George Floyd. So we wanted it to be exactly down to the second of how long it took to take that, that man's life. So first, it taught me so many things about time management. It taught me so much about time efficiency. And when you're directing TV, that's that's everything. That's that's that means so much is making your days, finishing on time, and figuring out how to do a lot of scenes, a lot of action, and a lot of emotion in a in a, a time frame that is not costly, right? So that was part of it. Another was being in a position where your crew is freaking out because <laughs> my my animators were like how the heck are we going to do this and there were days where they literally were like i don't know if we're going to make it and it's my job to be like guys we got this we're going to be fine and i'm going to tell you this story uh, one day i think it was day two or three of batwoman on my episode the crane broke and we had to shoot a couple of scenes in the beginning of the day and we were 45 minutes behind so they were they said okay now that the crane broke there is a way that we can fix this, but the only way is if we move the crane out, which takes 30 minutes, move the crane in, which takes 30 minutes, and we shoot the first scenes at the end of the day, meaning you have to do all your other scenes, including this giant bat wing Sophie action scene, and finish an hour early just so we can <laughs> get that crane stuff figured out. And my crew was like, <laughs> but I was like, guys, guys, there is a way and we're going to make it happen. And we did it. We figured it out. We and we finished. I think that day it was either five minutes before or we finished on the dot. Like we finished right on time. So our producing director, Holly Dale, who I adore, she came up to me as we were moving the cranes out. And she was like, you realize that if you actually finish this on time tonight, you're a hero. <laughs> So when we finished, she walked up to me and she said, congrats, you're a real director. And she hugged me. And I think ever since then, the episode just went so much smoother because we we got through the worst. We got through the hardest thing. And I wasn't even worried because I was like, if I can make She Dreams at Sunrise on the budget that we had and the time that we had, I can I can get a crane in and out in an hour. You know what I'm saying? Hero on screen and off screen. That's what they say, baby. Nice. <laughs> Very nice. Well done. Let's dive Thanks, into the elements man. of the episode a little bit, though. And of course, we're yeah. not going to spoil anything, but I mean, you send Ryan on, I mean, quite a journey and just one freaking episode. How was yeah, it working man. with Javicia to bring that, such a range of emotions to the screen in this episode? Because this is incredible. Okay, listen, I know that you all realize that Javicia is a superhero on and off screen. And I know that you all realize that she works really hard just from watching the episodes themselves. But boy, when you direct her, you realize she is like, a warrior she like i don't know how she does what she does to be honest with you there was a specific day i think it was day like three of my episode the first scene was a stunt scene 
So she's doing stunts in the beginning of the day. The second scene is an emotional crying scene. The scene after that, I think, is another emotional crying scene. And then after that, she does another stunt to end the day. <laughs> so she did 12 hours of stunt, crying, crying, and stunt. And what was crazy is I was like, dog, you good? And she was like, hey, man, this is what I do. Like, this is, she's like, now you see, this is my every day. And she's like, I got to be here first thing in the morning tomorrow to do another stunt. <laughs> like, man, I am so incredibly impressed with her. And she did such a great job in this episode, man. She is a monster. She really, really is, man. And it <laughs> is incredible. But I mean, you put Mary through it too. Let's oh, yeah. Be honest. I mean, she's been through a lot. And, you know, the whole poison ivy thing. I mean, those mental scars are so fresh. So where do we find her in this episode at the beginning, I think? Well, when we, when we find Mary, she's in this place where she just got past all of the poison ivy evil that she got over. Not, sorry, not got over, but just finished. So she's still in this place where she's apologetic. She feels like she's not truly part of the bat team right now because she made so many mistakes. She turned on her friend. She turned on her own team. So she's in this place where she's having to figure out how to convince them to take her back, even though, of course, they love her. But she feels like she doesn't belong anymore. She feels that she has to earn their respect, earn their trust again. So she's in this in-between phase. She's sort of stuck in purgatory in a way where she feels like she is good, but she also just was evil. So, but it's not her fault, but it is her fault because she made decisions, even though it, decisions weren't her own. So she's in this really strange place trying to figure out how to earn her way back into the bat team to be in the position that where she was before. No doubt about that. Now we can't talk about your episode without talking about Luke. I mean, we've gotten this far. We haven't even talked about Luke yet. Didn't that's right. Without dad's AI. He's back in Batwing suit though, so that's good. So do you feel mm -hmm. like we'll see in this episode how much Luke's kind of evolved and maybe come into his own at this point this season? Yeah, quite a bit. I mean, what's interesting about Luke is that his relationship to his dad in a way is not the, the healthiest because, you know, his dad passed so many years ago, he had so much time to mourn and grow from that loss, even though it's still been this heavy weight on his shoulders. So his AI coming back like coming into his life this season in an interesting way is sort of interrupting his morning right because his dad in a way is in his life again so it's like his dad left his dad came back his dad left his dad came back his dad left again his dad comes back in this episode and i think what's interesting is we're slowly seeing him growing because he's getting this love from his dad but it's not his real father and in this episode we'll, we'll see him getting closer and closer to finally letting go but that's still going to take him some time Ooh, that's a good tease that's a really mm -hmm. good tease talking to cameron <laughs> johnson who of course is the star of batwoman and the director of this week's episode broken toys which you can watch on february the 2nd that's a wednesday of course batwoman wednesday okay cameras <laughs> Let's talk about that kiss here for a second and hey. and the previous episode. You know Wildmore fans, are they're talking about it. They haven't stopped talking about it. The video's everywhere. The gifts are everywhere. How much can you tease for us about what might be next for Ryan and Sophie? Because I, I something's got to be next at this point. I'll say, James, is uh, <laughs> I love where their relationship is and it's only going to keep growing. I love seeing the Walmart fans freaking out because we've been waiting for these moments for so, so, so long. So all I know is I got to grow with them in this relationship. I got to see how far we can take this relationship. I got to, and I, I know the fans are going to love what they see. I know the fans are going to freak out when they see how much, I don't use the word love that they have for each other. And uh, yeah, that's all I'll say. Yeah. <laughs> 
it's been pretty obvious for me for a while now. As a matter of fact, when I asked Javicia about it, all she did was eat blueberries. So that's, I mean, <laughs> that, that should tell you all you need to know. Sounds like Javicia, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of when I talked to her a couple weeks ago, she talked about how progressive that the series is and how exciting it is to have the first live-action African-American Joker on oh, Batwoman yeah. this season. And how much of a Bat fan you are from having you on the show in the past. How much mm -hmm. fun was it for you working with Nick on this episode and putting even just a small stamp on this character? Because it's great. Man, the Joker is my favorite villain of all time, of, of any superhero lore. I love the Joker so very much. And the fact that I get to work with a black Batwoman and a black Joker is just like, the dopest thing ever, especially being Batwing myself. It just, it fills me with all this joy. So man, I gotta let you know, <laughs> I went Joker crazy in this episode. <laughs> I did all I could. I was like, add this, put that there. This is the thing from a comic book that only happened one time 30 years ago. Put it in there, I don't care. Like put everything all over the place because even if you don't notice it, I know it's there. And I know the crazy Joker fans are gonna see it and they're gonna love it. Man, when it comes to, to Nick, I told him, I think day one, I said, listen, bro, I love the Joker laugh. I love your Joker laugh. So I'm gonna need you to give me at least two in this episode. I'm gonna, I'm gonna put it in like four or five scenes. They're gonna cut some, but you're laughing throughout this episode as much as I can. Cause that's like, my favorite thing, one of my favorite things about the Joker is when you hear that dude laugh, it makes you smile, but it also creeps you out, right? And Nick has a really good one because he practiced it for quite some time before the show. And that's the reason it's so freaking good because he knew how important it was, bro. Oh, and even to, down to the point where we got his outfit to sort of look a lot like Joaquin Phoenix's outfit in the new Joker movie. Man, dude, <laughs> like, I had such a good time. And don't let me get me get me started on Kiki Roulette. That's like a whole other fun thing that I got to do. And I, oh man, <laughs> I get so hyped because even down to like the the lights, I made like green and purple lights in certain scenes. I put there's like two scenes of the green and purple lights just to add Joker feels everywhere. And for Kiki Roulette, we really jokered her out. We really made her crazy with the. Oh man, I don't want to give anything away. I'm gonna get so excited that I give a spoiler. But I really had a good time with my Joker. So all I can tell you is the line that kept going through my head when I was watching this episode is, where does he get those wonderful toys? Hey. That was, that came, <laughs> man, that came through my head so many times. I was watching this episode, so I know I know what you were doing. I know what you were doing. Thank you, fam. <laughs> Cameras, before I let you go, man, one thing that I've always loved about the Arrowverse is that it really does feel like a family, and you all support each other across all the shows, past and present. So what's it been like seeing all the love from Javicia, from Ozzy, from Candace, and so many more about this directorial debut. Man, they're family. It, it, it's meant so much to see everyone reach out, everyone post, everyone share, everyone just say the nicest things. And even, I mean, even down to bringing up She Dreams at Sunrise again, my animated short, the fact that Ozzy and Candace were willing to do it with me, like, like and, and, and there was no question. I was like, Ozzy, hey, uh, I'm doing this short. And uh, she just went, yeah, whatever, sure. Yeah, when do you want me? <laughs> that, like, I'm down. And Candace did the same thing. She was like, yeah, whatever. Now I'll come record in your closet <laughs> for this short film that you want to make. The fact that everyone is just so incredibly supportive means the world. And it goes all the way up to the to the highest. It goes up to the Warner Brothers execs, the CW execs, Greg Berlanti and Sarah, trusting me to direct this episode. The fact that everyone shows so much love means the world. And it means I'm doing something right, I guess. And man, if I could tell you all the lovely stories on set of my episode too, the cast really showed up. 
the cast really was there. They listened to everything. They did everything. Oh my gosh, they they put in some performances in this episode, and I pulled I pulled the heck out of them. Like there were some scenes that since I've seen them act for so many years, I know what they can do. So some scenes I let them do their thing. And I would just walk up to them like, that was amazing. Let's just do something completely different just to see what happens. And then they do it and be like, awesome. That was great. Let's do something completely different <laughs> just to see what happens. And they give me these stunning performances and it just gave the editors so much so much to play with. They gave me so many different options. So yeah, man, I, I love my, my fam. And I'll tell you this right now. I think this is going to be the most talked about episode of Batwoman to date. Don't miss this thing. It's Dang, season three about Woman Broken Toys. going to be airing live on February the 2nd. That's Wednesday at 9 o'clock on The CW. But guess what? You're going to be running to The CW app <laughs> to watch the sucker again. I'm not even kidding because that's how good it is. And, and the moments that are in this episode, you're going to want to relive them. Trust me. And it's a lot of it is thanks to this guy. It's Cameron Johnson. Man, thank you so much. For thank the time. you, man. Appreciate it you. means a lot. And if you've already seen the episode, you know the impact that it's made on this show as a whole, never mind this season, this show as a whole, for a multiple amount of reasons. This was the episode. You, there's always an episode in a certain season of a show that you feel like this is this is the turning point. This is when the season's really kicking off and really going to heat up. And this, and I'm not even kidding, Broken Toys is that episode of Batwoman. Season 3, episode 11 of Batwoman. If you haven't watched it yet, make sure you go do that any way you possibly can and see how wonderful of a job Cameron Johnson did directing this episode. Always great having him on the show. And yeah, don't worry. Any more updates on Batwoman, you know I definitely got you covered. Once again, thanks to everybody at the CW, Warner Brothers, and Cameron Johnson for chatting about this week's episode of Batwoman. Up next, it's time to dig into some reviews. How about I talk about the new Reacher series that's on Prime Video? My spoiler-free review of that next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hey guys, this is Chloe Bennett from Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. When you try to find the roots of your favorite blues singer, sometimes he can give you the blues itself. That's right, Reacher is now streaming on Prime Video. I want to give me my spoiler-free review of this first season. Of course, this follows the Jack Reacher character that you know from the lead child books and this is actually based on killing floor if you're a fan of the books already and again i'm not going to go through every little detail i'm going to do this spoiler free anyway so not going to be able to do that but i will say this right off the bat and you saw this in the trailer and i talked about this before and it's definitely confirmed as you watch the show alan richson it's almost like he was born to play jack reacher this character is everything that we should have gotten in the movies, no disrespect to Tom Cruise, but just the stature and the attitude and just everything about Alan Richson's portrayal of this character just screams Jack Reacher to me. And it's like getting it right, but it's almost like I'm glad they didn't get it right in the movies or getting it right, I guess, is subjective. But I'm glad that it didn't work out the way it did the first time because then we probably would have never gotten this series. And quite frankly, doing a deep dive into the character like this and into the story, I think is better suited for series anyway, especially on Prime Video. So now here's Jack Reacher in Margrave, Georgia. He's been discharged from the Army. You know, he thinks he's just going to have a nice leisure little, little small town visit. And then he finds out this town is corrupt as hell 
And the investigation kind of takes its t- its turn from there. And it's part of this is somewhat your typical corrupt small town backwoods garbage that can go on. Where there, there's a very small percentage of people that are doing something really, really bad and can corrupt some of the who should be uncorruptible members of the town. But again, it's, it's this series does have the trope of that of that typical corrupt small town thing. And then big guy comes in to kind of clean up the mess and whether or not he works well with the small town police department is also a manner of, you know, conjecture. You know, maybe he does, maybe he doesn't. We saw some of that in the trailer, working well more with some than others, but, um, you know, hey, that's all I'm going to say about that, okay? But it's very interesting how the corruption starts and how it branches itself out. And it's also one of those things where, and you used to find this in action movies back in the late 90s and early 2000s as well. I mean, you could even trace this back into the 80s, too, if you like, where it's like, OK, how is it that the adversary even has a chance against Jack Reacher? There's times where you think that and then you see how they play the game and and you and you and you say, wow, you know, if you're going to combat somebody like Jack Reacher, that's kind of how you do it. So that's how you hang on to the intrigue. Of okay, really? Are these guys really even a match for this dude? These small town idiots are they even able to take on Jack Reacher, even if he is by himself? And you see how they can kind of hold their own in that regard. As far as performances in this show, I gotta say, Willa Fitzgerald's Roscoe, one of my favorite characters on the show. Other than other than Reacher, because Richardson just does such a fantastic job. I love Roscoe so much. If we if this was just a brand new series. And we were basing it on Roscoe's character. I'd watch that. Seriously. That's how good Willa Fitzgerald is as Roscoe. I love her attitude. I love just her, you know, command of everything, it seems like. Even when it's somebody that, you know, either clearly outranks her or whatever, she doesn't matter. She comes into it with the same confidence and yet respect at the same time. It's the way that she presents herself, I think, is incredible. And a character that I really, really enjoyed in the series. Also, Malcolm Goodwin as Finley. His dynamic with Jack Reacher and Alan Richardson just on screen is is really, really fun to play with. It really, really is. And, and again, it's another one of those things where you got a lot of that, but I could have even gotten more of that, quite frankly. I could have definitely stood to have more of the Finley-Jack Reacher Dynamic and then, and again, watching how their relationship working or otherwise kind of evolves throughout the season is a really, really cool thing to see as well. The only thing that I that kind of bugged me, and this is a common problem that a lot of shows can fall into, but it but also I want to preface this by saying that this does not derail my enjoyment of the show. I will say that much, and that is the flashback scenes. We do see flashbacks to Jack Reacher's childhood. Now, are, are, are they necessary? I mean, kind of, in a way. Yeah, they're necessary. It, it certainly helps tell the story a little bit. And one of the twists in the story is that it kind of makes that more important. But at the same time, I, I felt... And they didn't do it a ton. There wasn't a, there wasn't a lot of flashbacks. But at the same time, I felt like it really kind of took away from the momentum at times 
of where the story was going. It's like I could have been elsewhere. I could have that's that's time that even if it's a small amount of time that I could have used staying in the main story there. I feel like there's another way you could have worked that in and it just would have been a little bit better. But at the same time, I thought that the investigation w- w- was was fun. I thought that, you know, it was is there a lot of deep mystery here as far as involvement and such? Not a ton. There's certainly some surprises, but I don't think that's what you're in it for. You're in it for the action. You're in it because you love the characters and you're in it because you love the story of Jack Reacher and you and maybe you're just a fan of the books. And if you are a fan of the books, you're going to you're going to watch this and go, finally, finally, this is what I've been waiting for all this time. And it's finally here. So, yeah, Reacher definitely worth it just for the action alone and some of the fun characters that you're going to find. If you're just an action movie slash action series, not this one is going to definitely going to be want to be on your watch list. So make sure you're watching Reacher episodes now streaming on Prime Video. That's going to do it for my spoiler-free review of Reacher, the first season of probably many in my estimation. Up next, we'll jump over to Netflix and talk about Murderville. No spoilers there either. Well, maybe a couple. We'll talk about it next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hi, this is Amelia Jones from Netflix's Rocky Key, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. You heard me talk about the trailer on last week's podcast. How about a spoiler-free review now of Netflix's new improv slash scripted comedy Murderville. And the reason I wanted to talk about this is because, you know, sometimes you just need something fun to watch in your watch list. And I was really hoping that Murderville would be that thing. And it actually stars Will Arnett as Detective Terry Seattle, Homicide Division. He always gets new partners. He can never keep one. But there's always a murder that needs to be solved. And in case you don't know the premise of this, in case you missed last week's episode of me talking about the trailer... Will Arnett is the main character of the show. They, he has the script. Others on the show have the script. But who don't have the script are the partners, and that is the guest stars that are on this show. So Anne, Annie Murray was one, Conan O'Brien, Ken Jeong, Kumal Nanjiani, Marshawn Lynch, and Sharon Stone. Those were your guest stars. They did not have a script, so it was all. it all have to, had to be improved by them. They had to go with the flow. And yes, it wasn't one of those things where, you know, they say it's improved and it's not. You could tell when they were caught off guard and when they weren't and when, you know, they kind of broke like Conan O'Brien at one point he broke and it was really, really funny. And Conan's really good at not breaking. So that should tell you how good Will Arnett was. And yes, this was everything that I wanted it to be. And more, if you're like a Reno 911 fan, mix that in with a little whose line is it anyway. I got some vibes from the naked gun trilogy as well. This thing had me rolling and Will Arnett, solid freaking gold in this show. This character of Terry Seattle is every bit the goofball idiot detective that you want in a comedy series like this. And the way that, and what, what, what's also cool about this is, is that it's not just funny. There's actually, you have to really, if you really pay attention, because you know, the, the the guest stars, they have to decide who the murderer is. And there are clues throughout the entire episode. So if you're paying attention, you can kind of play along. And that makes the show even more fun, too. It's not just, you're not just watching it 
for the funny and goofy moments. You're also watching it because you might be genuinely interested in who the killer is sort of thing. And yeah, the, you want to talk about Easter eggs. They're dropped all over the place because you can also find out who the killer is yourself. So you can have fun. And, you know, you can even watch this with a group, and I think it would be really, really fun. So I, I, yeah, I got to say there were so many things about this that worked for me. And you get to kind of unravel Terry Seattle's backstory a little bit, which is really, really fun. And just the goofy, silly elements of this show. This was just done so well. And we only got six episodes, which was kind of a bummer for me. I really, really wanted more of this, and I really hope that we get more of this show. But I got to say, the one that surprised me the most was Marshawn Lynch, former NFL star, obviously not a ton of acting experience. You know, going into improv, though, maybe the best way to go about things, because I got to tell you, he was hilarious, and he he did a much better job than you would have thought that he did. He was very, very entertaining. And though and he and Will Arnett worked really well together too. You could almost see that pairing come back. And I think that would actually be really, really fun if they have few future episodes have certain characters come back. I thought Marshawn Lynch did a really, really good job. Sharon Stone surprised me too. And, you know, she's a great actress obviously, but seeing her like this is a, a role you don't typically see Sharon Stone in. So I thought it was really, really neat to see her do this as well. I got to tell you, I could have a hundred seasons of Murderville on Netflix and probably enjoy it every time. This is a show that for me will, will not get old. And I really, really hope that we see senior detective Terry Seattle back on the case for a second season. Murderville, all episodes now streaming on Netflix. Don't miss this one. It's a great laugh. And it's a little bit of a mystery that you'll have fun solving as well. That's going to do it for my spoiler-free review of Murderville from Netflix. Up next, there's some interesting nerd news. We'll get to the bottom of that. I'm James Witham, and this is the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is Tara Strong, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Weaving a very tangled web this week. It's time for nerd news. And the first one comes, first reported by Deadline, that Dakota Johnson is going to be playing Madam Web in the upcoming Spider-Man spinoff. I guess you'd call it Spider-Man spinoff. She's one of the characters slash villains in Spider-Man stories. Madam Web, going to be played by Dakota Johnson. Yes, you probably know that she was in Fifty Shades of Grey. I mean, she's been in some other stuff too, but that just seems to be the one that people gravitate back towards, right? And if you don't know anything about Madam Web, Cassandra Web is the character from Marvel. She lives in Oregon. She has this rare neuromuscular disease. She's paralyzed. She's blind, but she's got these psychic powers. She's got t- telepathy, clairvoyance, and things like that, and she just happens to be hooked up to this life support machine that looks like the giant spider web. Okay, but here's the thing. If you're not familiar with the character, this is usually an older woman in the comics, and I, when I say usually, I mean almost exclusively so casting Dakota Johnson, you automatically look at that and you go, all right, that's interesting. So that begs the question, are they going to age her up or this is this going to be a younger Madam Web? And here's what I think. This is just my opinion. They're going to do what they want. That's basically what, what we're being told right now is that, hey, we like Dakota Johnson. 
So we're just going to cast her and be done with it. And I'm sure she nailed the audition too, by the way. And and all I ever want, and you've heard me say this a million times if you've listened to the show before, all I really want is for the best person to get the job. That's it. If somebody goes in there and nails the audition, I don't care what the circumstances are. That is the person that should get that job. And and if they do a great job because they nailed the audition and they really care about the character, then then we win, right? We get the character that we want. So I'm sure she did that. But at the same time, you know, you see social media, it's bringing up a, a, a bunch of different older female actresses saying, you know, they, this person was right here and you didn't cast them. Were they right there, though? We don't know that. See, we're not really privy to the audition process most of the time, right? We don't know who's auditioned for this role. So it's not like you can go out there and say, like, say, I don't know, Helen Mirren. You, you can't say that Helen Mirren actually auditioned for this and didn't get it over Dakota Johnson. We don't know that. Helen Mirren's probably got other stuff going on, right? So there's no guarantee that she was even a part of this. Plus, they don't have to agree to do this either. Just because you think somebody's right there doesn't mean they wanted to do it. That's the other thing. Not everybody wants to be in a Marvel movie, especially a Sony Marvel movie, with all due respect. But come on, let's be honest. This movie's a stretch anyway. I mean, if we're really, really being honest, I mean, you've got Jackpot that's in production from Sony as well in the Spider-Man world, universe, whatever you want to call it. And now you've got Madam Web. It just seems like let's just take every Spider-Man character that's ever been in a comic and throw them out there because people love Spider-Man and, you know, Madam Web and people will get it. Okay, will they, though? And is the, is the character a cool character? Yeah, it's a cool character, and it could certainly be a cool story, but this is one of those things where you go, I don't know that this is a great idea. And Dakota Johnson, I'm actually kind of surprised she hasn't been cast in a Marvel or DC project up to this point. So I'm very curious to see how she does. And if it's cool, great. I mean, that's a bonus to me. If any of these movies, these offshoots are good, they're bonuses as far as I'm concerned. If you want to be mad about something, be mad at the fact that you've still got Spider-Gwen out there that needs to be made. The the whole the Silk, I think, is getting an Amazon series now, if I remember correctly. So that that's going to be done eventually. So, so that's something. I know that you're clamoring for another Andrew Garfield Spider-Man movie. That may or may not ever happen. I, and I've gone on record as saying I didn't think that Andrew Garfield was a bad Spider-Man. I thought it was a lot. There was a lot working against him that wasn't his fault. But in you know the writing-wise, didn't make him a very good Peter Parker. But I, I just don't know about this. I really, really don't. And and I hope for the best for it. Obviously, I just don't have high hopes that this is going to be super awesome. But we'll have to see what happens. As far as Titans goes, that series has certainly been very, very popular on HBO Max and even before that on DC Universe. But here's the deal. Now we know who the villain for season four is going to be. And it's going to be Brother Blood and also bringing along plenty of help with him. Got Mother Mayhem's going to be in this. Jinx going to be cast in this as well. And Joseph Morgan from the originals is actually going to be playing Sebastian Blood, a.k.a. Brother Blood. You're also going to have Franca Pontente who is going to be playing Mother Mayhem. And those are going to be series regulars, by the way. And then Lisa Ambalavanar going to be playing Jinx in a recurring role this season. 
And to me, this is yet another good choice for Titans, who's done a fantastic job at choosing their villains. You do the Red Hood Scarecrow thing last year, and what they did with Scarecrow, to me, was incredible how they made that whole thing work and the way they brought Barbara Gordon in. I just thought they crafted the last season of Titans really, really well. You had Deathstroke before that as well. You were kind of dealing with... Trigon earlier on in the series for season one and some others as well, but they have really progressed nicely. And of course we saw brother blood on the teen Titans animated series, if I'm not mistaken. Also we remember these, we saw this character in arrow as well, but here's the deal. This is the chance to really open this character up and make brother blood really brutal and really creepy and just give you those really just creep vibes from this character like you should by the way. You this is a this is a character that can make you feel really uncomfortable and Titans has shown that they will go all the way when they are doing something. Some of the stuff that Scarecrow was up to last season, I was pretty messed up. That was really really bad. So, yeah, I think that this is a chance to really really give us the brother blood that we've been waiting for on screen and I think that, you know, what what perfect way to work this in then this season, and then to bring along Mother Mayhem and Jinx as well. Although something tells me they're going to try and hero Jinx up. I don't know why. I just have this gut feeling that they're going to end up trying to do that and maybe turn her a little bit. I don't know. Just call me crazy. It's just a gut feeling. Will it play out or not? I don't know. Probably not. But we'll have to see how it goes. But this just gives you another reason to look forward to season four of Titans on HBO Max because they just keep getting it right. This is a show that, you know, just went all in, decided to be way more adult and just made it really, really work so far. And I am really looking forward to seeing what they can do with this Brother Blood character because this this show has shown that they can really take things to the next level. I want to talk about Book of Boba Fett for a second because Cad Bane finally made his live-action debut in this past episode, episode 6, I believe it was, of The Book of Boba Fett, if that's what you can even call it anymore. And I want to talk about something. I want to talk about this because I wanted to address something that you see a lot, and it's a little bit of a pet peeve of mine. And that was a fan that tried to fix, quote-unquote fix, the look of Cad Bane because they didn't like the coloring, they didn't like the shape of the face, stuff like that. Okay, listen. Let's just be on again. We're being honest this week, apparently. Let's just be honest. The character, while it wasn't spot on what you would have seen in the Clone Wars, it wasn't that far away. Okay, it wasn't like the whole Sonic thing. Remember those when we first saw Sonic in that first trailer for the Sonic the Hedgehog movie, and we're like, "Hold on a second, that's not happening. We're gonna have to do something different." Unless it is a hugely drastic. Like, eye-popping, we-have-got-to-sound-the-alarm-bells thing. Stop fixing stuff. With all due respect, by the way. Stop fixing stuff. This didn't really need fixing. It's, you know, you know, making the shade a little darker, shaping the nose a little differently, the nose area, if you want to call it that. It didn't need fixing. There was nothing wrong with the way the character was presented. And quite frankly, just the the, the mannerisms of the, of the character, I thought they got, they did pretty well. So, and, and you want to talk about a pretty badass introduction? I think they gave Cad Bane just that, and really brought this character into this world and saying, "Hey, guess who's here now? This is going to be a problem." So, 
I don't think there was anything wrong with the look, and that just that just bugs me when fans do that. So I just want to throw that out there. I also want to throw out the fact that I mean, if you're watching the show, it's like a routine eye exam now, isn't it? They have no idea what the prescription is going to be. So it's like, do you like one or two, three or four, A or B? And you're kind of hoping that you know, based on our answers, they're going to get it. Obviously, they're not changing the show while they're doing it, but it's like. They said, well, you know, if, if people don't like this, as long as they stick around, we're going to give them this, and then we're going to give them this, and we'll bring Grogu back, and we'll we'll make him choose, and we'll have Luke Skywalker, and everything's going to be... People are going to be just so happy. Well, it's not a Boba Fett show anymore, and I know it's the book of Boba Fett. It doesn't say the Boba Fett show. It's a freaking Boba Fett show, and has been from the beginning, until they decided to veer off into this tangent into an alternate 1985. Just, you know, to turn a phrase. It, the, I understand why you're doing it. You know, you're building up for this whole war and you need bodies and you want to remind people. You don't need to have to remind anybody who the Mandalorian is. Okay. And the way I see this is that Grogu's going to choose the armor and come swooping in and Grogu's going to save the day when all hope looks like it's lost. That seems like that's where this is headed, does it not? But I don't know. I didn't dislike what they were doing in the beginning. I didn't mind the slow burn, and then you give me this stuff, and you kind of veer off, and you lose what your way of the original story that you were telling in the first place, and you never really got deep enough into the whole organized crime aspect that I was kind of hoping for, and it's not like they're making the show for me, but you had a chance to do that, and you veered off into, at this point, this show's veered off into so many tangents, I don't know what to expect anymore, and I don't even know if that's a good thing or a bad thing either, by the way. But, you know, the Book of Boba Fett's only got a couple episodes left, and I have no idea how they're going to wrap this thing up in the couple of episodes that they have left. We'll just have to wait and see. One more thing that actually came out last week, and since it's not a ton of news this week, I want to go back and talk about it, and that is the live-action Masters of the Universe movie that was ditched and kicked to the curb by Sony is now back on track with Netflix. How about that? Thank you again, Netflix, who was who are our saviors once again. So the movie's back on track. Noah Centineo is not on board though. So I, that that is one thing that that has definitely changed. The Knee Brothers now going to be co-directing this thing. The screenplay going to be done by the Knees and David Callahan, who also did Shang Chi and Wonder Woman 1984. So it's like yay and okay. So Kyle Allen, who's kind of a newcomer, he's done a few things is going to be playing He-Man slash Prince Adam in the movie. Now, you, you probably saw him in West Side Story. He also was in Season 8 of American Horror Story. Hasn't done a ton of stuff, but that is going to be your new He-Man. And production's not even going to start on this thing until the summer of this year. So, you know, Kyle's definitely got a chance to, to bulk up, and, and you wonder how much of this is going to be CGI and how much of this is going to be practical effects. But I'm kind of glad that this is back on track, and I really hope they do go more practical effects, at least as much as they can with some of these characters, because I think that this is the kind of thing that could look really, really cool. You see, you know, like The Witcher's done a very good job with that. Obviously, they've used some CG there as well, but only using it when it's necessary, I think is really neat. It'll be interesting to see. I'm guessing they're going to go the Skeletor route because there was a couple of quotes in here from producers and things like that they can't wait to see him battle Skeletor so it's probably not going to be Hordak and maybe it shouldn't be for our first live action movie anyway so I, I'm excited though I think this is going to be a really neat thing 
that Netflix is doing, and I can't wait to see the first look. That first look means everything. You know that, and I know that, and we'll have to see how that one shakes out. That's going to do it for this week's edition of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Again, thanks to the amazing cast of Raised by Wolves for joining me this week. Also, Cameron Johnson from Batwoman. You want to follow along with what we've got going on on social media? Go to Down and Nerdy 757 on Twitter and Instagram and at Down and Nerdy on Facebook and always online at downandnerdypodcast.com and subscribe wherever you get your podcast. Remember, you never have to apologize for being a nerd, so let your fan flag fly and be good to your fellow nerds. What does feminism mean to you? During Women's History Month, come explore feminism and how it's playing out in real life with season two of Thread the Needle, a monthly podcast. I'm your host, Donna Schill. I use my background in journalism and draw on women's life experiences to add to the conversation on topics that matter to fellow feminists like you. Now in its second season, listen to new episodes each month as we explore finding yourself through divorce, battling call-out culture, questioning our ideas about masculinity, and discovering why girls' confidence plummets in their preteens. Guests include Stephanie Kuntz, historian and author of Marriage, a History, April White, author of Divorce Colony, and Loretta Ross, professor on white supremacy and call-out culture at Smith College. Listen to Thread the Needle on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.